we study the book of Revelation on uh, Sunday mornings. And uh, while we're finding our way there, just a reminder that on Sunday nights we do go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. We're currently uh, studying in the Minor Prophets. We'll be studying the book of Habakkuk this evening at 6 o'clock. Each of you are invited. I know God is up against the Super Bowl tonight, and uh, which creates quite a dilemma for uh, some of you. And uh, it, it's just a marginal use of guilt that I'm <laughs> engaging in presently. Um, but if, if you think that uh, the, the minor prophets of the Old Testament have nothing to say to us today and what we're going through, you haven't read Habakkuk in a while. So uh, we'll be studying that this evening. Revelation chapter 4, and we'll pick it up in verse 6 for our reading for today's Bible study. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, and the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each had six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. We know that every uh, jot, every tittle, every thought, every intent of your word is intended to fashion some part of our understanding of you, some part of our own uh, lives. And so we pray, Lord, that you would take these verses today, that you would give us the ability to hear your voice through them today and speak into our lives and speak into our personal relationship with you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. As we studied last time in uh, chapter 4, we're given a vision here uh, of the heavenly throne room. Uh, and with it a reminder that heaven is all about a throne that is there and the one who sits uh, upon that throne. And we noticed as well that everything really that is described in chapter 4, which is with chapter 5, uh, the most complete description of heaven that we have in all of the scriptures, uh, that everything in this scene is described in terms of its relationship to the throne and one series of prepositions after uh, another. Uh, it is spoken of in the context of around the throne and from the throne and before the throne and the midst of the throne. And this morning we want to conclude this chapter, though chapter 5 continues the very scene, but to con uh, con conclude uh, this chapter today by turning our focus to the worship that is offered to God. Uh, who sits upon that throne. Before we get there, I think it's important to understand a little bit about 
what worship is uh, biblically and how God views our worship. Uh, to worship is to ascribe worth to something or to ascribe worth to someone. Uh, our English word worship comes from an old English word that means worth-ship. And when we worship God, we do so because we recognize that He is worthy of our worship. In the New Testament, the word that is used most often to describe uh, or to trans, uh, uh, translation of the English word uh, worship, and it is the word that is translated worship there in verse 10, is the word proskuneo. And it's made up of two words, two other Greek words. One is pros, which means toward, and kaneo, which means to kiss. And thus to worship God is to lean toward Him, uh, to kiss Him. In other words, it is the means that God has given to us by which we might express our deepest emotions, our, our deepest uh, love and affection uh, for Him and toward Him. And it speaks of the fact that as we worship Him, we're not merely singing songs in, in a room, but we sing these songs from an inward reality that is inside of us, an inward reality of praise and worship and thanksgiving that fills our hearts. The worship is not just singing songs, but it's an opportunity to express the depth of our hearts and our love uh, toward the Lord. As I read uh, through uh, all of the worship that is offered to God throughout uh, the book of, of Revelation, I noticed that all of the worship that is offered to Him in the entirety of the book, the entirety representation of, of worship that is offered to Him uh, in heaven, all of it is offered voluntarily. Uh, there is never any constraint used, never any pressure or co coercion uh, to get people to worship Him or even uh, angelic beings. And, uh, and of course, the fact that there is no co coercion, there is no pressure on anyone to worship the Lord, that's what makes it uh, uh, in large part a blessing to the Lord. Uh, it's one of the reasons that when our worship teams come come worship team comes out on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights. They don't scold us to worship the Lord. Uh, they don't exhort us to worship the Lord in order to, to get us to, to worship Him. They just come out and they lead us in worshiping the Lord. They give us an opportunity to worship the Lord. And they are trusting that the motivation to worship the Lord is already uh, in us. And, and they represent uh, worship for what it really is, and, and that is for the great privilege that it is. I mean, imagine if, if God were having to listen to worship leaders scold or exhort people uh, to worship Him. I mean, what would the worship then mean to Him if that's what it took uh, in order to, uh, to motivate us to, to worship Him? I don't think He'd enjoy it that uh, much. Now, worship is a privilege uh, for us and for the Lord. It blesses Him because we offer it uh, freely as, as an offering and a sacrifice to Him. Additionally, with regard to worship, there might 
have been a day in which uh, we could just have said it goes without saying that our worship is to be uh, directed to the Lord but I don't know if we live in that day any longer uh, given how self-dominated our Western culture and United States culture is and I think it's good for all of us to be reminded that our worship of God is supremely for his blessing it is supremely uh, uh, to bless him not supremely for our own blessing and uh, but having said that worshiping him will bless us because we can never ever outgive God and because we've been created to worship God and every time we offer worship and praise to God it reorients us it takes our focus off of our own problems it takes our pro- uh, focus off of our circumstances off of the condition of the world, whatever it might be, and it refocuses us on what is eternal. And it refocuses us upon the Lord. And that is an invaluable byproduct to worship uh, within our lives. And in fact, that reorienting of our focus is something that is a daily need within our lives. When Jesus taught the disciples and us to pray, He began what is known as the Lord's Prayer with our Father which art in heaven. And and the very first line of uh, hallowed be thy name, the very first line of the song is worship directed toward God. It is our focus being lifted off of our present circumstances and lifted up uh, to God and the eternal perspective that that results uh, as a Uh, as a result and it's good to be reminded that we don't have to wait for a church service to worship the Lord in song Uh, we can buy worship music we can download so much uh, uh, worship music we can stream it and all of our various uh, devices that we that we might uh, uh, own and it's always great to have uh, worship music and worship songs going, singing along with them vocally or singing along with them uh, in, our, in our hearts, but especially when life is particularly difficult and, and especially when we need an eternal perspective. Uh, for instance, if you're raising children uh, of any age or uh, during periods of spiritual warfare or a discouragement within our lives. And there's so much that is out there in this regard. I think about Chris Tomlin. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with, with sources, so gifted in this regard. Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir uh, for uh, that kind of a choir genre with it. I think of Phil Wickham and Jeremy Camp, so many others. My favorite related to the hymns is uh, Fernan- Fernando Ortega and I find myself listening to an awful lot of him these days and so we want to avoid in our self-obsessed uh, culture uh, and, and, and what we want to avoid here is becoming so self-centered that we begin to sing worship songs not supremely with the thought of how they will bless God but rather with how they make me feel and so someone asks us, well, how was the worship today? And, uh, well, worship was good today. Why? Uh, because it made me feel good. Uh, because I like those songs. And, uh, or worship was not so good today. And why? I didn't care for some of those songs. 
And, uh, and, and someone might ask, well, uh, do you suppose God liked them? Well, oh my, never really uh, thought about uh, uh, that. Now, since we encounter so much worship in this book, let me also add that God is worthy of our worship no matter how we're feeling in, in life. The Bible talks about <clears throat> worship in one aspect of um, the, worship, uh, the uh, sacrifice of praise. And a lot of times there's sacrifice that's in, involved in it. We don't always feel the same way every single day or every single worship service. We can have things pulling uh, uh, down uh, on us in, uh, in, in life. And, and we can be feeling a lot of different ways, a lot of different things that we're going through. And, uh, and, 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 but he's worthy of the worship that we would offer to him. And, and, and so very often there's a sacrifice that's involved. Uh, sometimes the worship team <clears throat> will lead songs and, and uh, not all of them knock me out in terms of how I relate to God or how I, uh, in, in, you know, worship Him or what is the most important thing uh, to me. It's nothing wrong with what, with what they're doing. Uh, we all recognize there's a lot of different personalities in the room and a lot of pe different people want to sing different things to the Lord. And so I, I will, uh, even though it may not be my particular cup of tea, I will engage in the worship and be happy to do that. And I will also, uh, also with the knowledge that it blesses the Lord, and it's good to, to worship the Lord with a sense of sacrifice, though that's no, some great sacrifice. I don't want to pretend that it is, but also with the knowledge that this is blessing other people within the room and their uh, relationship with the Lord. And so no matter how I might be feeling or what I might be going through, uh, He's worthy of, of my worship. I also think it's good to stop and consider the fact that Christianity is a uh, singing religion. It is a worshiping religion. It is a worshiping in song uh, religion. And it's important to take note of that because not all religions in the world uh, are. Not all religions in the world have this as a part of their uh, practice of their expression. And I think Christianity is a singing religion for a very simple reason. And it's because as we come to know God and we come to know about and then experience His grace and His love and His righteousness and His holiness and His wisdom and His salvation, the forgiveness of our sins and so forth, and, to, and we come to know about these things not only from in the Bible, uh, as important as that is, but we, become, we come to know these things experientially. They become a part of our lives, how we see life, how we live life, how we get through life. And it, pr it produces a gratitude uh, uh, in us toward Him. And we find that we have a need to praise Him. We have a need to express our gratitude uh, toward Him, to ascribe worth uh, to Him. And God knew we would. God knew that He could not su uh, uh, supply into our lives such sources of gratitude, such sources of praise within our lives without then giving us the opportunity to offer that praise uh, to Him. And when a person is blessed in uh, the way that a Christian is blessed by our Heavenly Father, 
He knew we couldn't keep it bottled up, but we would have an overwhelming need to express that uh, to him and to thank him. Now, before anyone dismisses this whole idea of, of worship being something that is unique to religious people uh, or unique to Christian uh, people, and the, the dismissal of the idea of, of anybody uh, being a worship, uh, 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 not being a worshiper simply because uh, you might not be a Christian yet. And so you might look at things and say, well, I, I consider myself to be uh, free of this kind of thing. I'm, I'm an atheist, I'm an agnostic, I don't worship anything. It's important to understand that the Bible declares that every single person in this world is a worshiper and is indeed a worshiper of some God and that practically speaking there are no atheists in this world and so often within our culture we hear a great deal about uh, the atheist who declares that he doesn't believe in God and as a result of course in our secular culture this kind of person is is highly esteemed as a free uh, thinker and as as deeply intellectual and and uh, and uh, fair in a way that uh, that others are not and in in superior and and in enlightened intellectually but it's also important to realize that as much as atheists don't believe in the God of the Bible, the God of the Bible doesn't believe in atheists because practically speaking, they simply do not exist. Well, if every one of us are worshipers, then how in the world does one identify the God that we serve and that we worship? Whether we worship that God knowingly or whether we worship that God uh, unknowingly. And how we identify the object of, of our worship in life is by simply identifying the master passion of my life, by identifying the thing that has captured my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. What is it that excites me most in life? What is it that gets me out of bed in the morning to begin a new day? What is it that I think about more than anything else? Where do I invest my discretionary time? Where does my money go? I mean, you've heard the saying, follow the money in order to get to the bottom of something. And the same thing is true here as well. Where our money goes is a very good indicator of the master passion uh, in my life. And when I answer those questions... I'll have a good idea as to what my God is or what my master passion is in life. And a master passion can be money, it can be sports, it can be entertainment, it can be power, it can be sex, it can be uh, drugs, it can be alcohol, it can be travel, it can be food, it can be nature, it can be uh, creation, it can be uh, self, and on and on and on the list goes. And the Bible, interestingly enough, it takes all of this even further. The Bible declares that not only is every single human being in this world a worshiper, but every single human being in this world is becoming more like uh, the God uh, that every single person uh, worships individually uh, in their life. We become like the God we worship. For example, uh, the man who worships money. 
uh, only becomes more greedy and more addicted to money. The man who worships power only becomes more and more power uh, hungry as a result. The man who uh, worships sex only becomes more and more uh, lust-filled and, and uh, as, as a result. The man who worships himself only becomes progressively more and more selfish in the course of, of his life. And if we become like the God that we worship, and we do, then the only one who can be safely worshipped in this world is the Lord God uh, Himself. And the knowledge that we become like the God that we worship is tremendous news to the child of God, the God of the Bible, a worshiper of, of Jesus Christ, because it, 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 it affirms what it is that we're already experiencing within our life, that we are becoming, as we worship the Lord Jesus, more and more like Him. Day by day, the longer we walk with Him, the longer that we know Him. As the Apostle Paul put it, we are being transformed into the same image uh, from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of God. Now all of that lays the foundation for understanding all of the worship that we're going to be seeing in the coming weeks. It's uh, uh, extended and directed to God uh, in heaven. And, to, and for our purposes this morning, uh, these two worship songs that are sung to Him, uh, first in verse 8 and then in verse 11. You notice the, the uh, worship which is offered to uh, God the Father by the four living creatures, and these are angelic beings. And they offer this worship there in verse 8. And you notice they, notice they offer this song uh, to the Lord day and night, we're told. They don't rest day and night in ascribing this worth to God. So obviously these four living creatures, these angels, are in no need of, uh, of sleep in, in heaven. And uh, what God has worshipped for uh, in these two songs is very interesting and important to know. Because what God has worshipped for in heaven can be very different from what God uh, ends up being worshipped for in Western culture or Eastern culture or, uh, or anywhere. And so it, 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 it reminds us of the great realities and themes that are most important uh, in that heavenly scene for worshiping Him. And the worship that is offered to Him and uh, God the Father in verse 8 begins with the cry of holy, holy, holy. And it's the reminder that <clears throat> heaven is a place where God's holiness and holiness in general, His holiness is appreciated and it's a cause for praise. The word holy is hagios, it means to be set apart uh, to be pure, uh, and, it is a, and to be set apart to God, from something to something. And, uh, and it is the chief characteristic of, of God, is it, uh, and, and it is to be like God. Uh, Peter wrote in his first epistle, chapter 1, verse 15, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am uh, holy. And so it is to live a life that is not only where we are separating ourselves from 
what is sinful or what is evil, but holiness finds its expression in what we have heard communicated and even sung to the Lord today. Uh, God's holiness is expressed and holiness is expressed in our life in the form of grace, in the form of mercy toward uh, being that kind of a person, in the form of expressing uh, the love of God into other people's lives and, and uh, in this world. Now, the, the subject of holiness, it kind of breaks my mind. It doesn't take much to break my mind these days. And, um, but it's so, it's so big a subject that it can really be hard to get uh, my mind around it. And I want to get my mind around it on some level because I don't just want it to be this, this thing that's out there, but I don't know what it looks like in my life. And, and the single great definition of holiness in human history is the life of Jesus Christ himself. There's no holier life that has ever been lived in this world than him. And holy not only in what he did, but holy in what he didn't do. Holy in what he said, but in what he didn't say. And one of the greatest ways to look and say, what would be the holy thing, the God-like thing to do in this situation, uh, <clears throat> would be to look at Jesus' life as it's recorded in the Gospels, ask myself, what would Jesus do here? What would he not do here in this situation? And then to proceed to uh, do that. And it'll be an expression uh, of, of holiness. Our English word holy, interestingly enough, it's derived from a German word which means to be entire or to be complete or to be sound or to be healthy. Isn't that interesting? And God is the only one who is completely healthy in this world. He is the only one that is truly holy in this uh, uh, world. And uh, morally and spiritually, nothing else in this world is healthy uh, or, or sound or holy uh, independent of, of Him. And so holiness is celebrated in heaven and uh, it is a lack of holiness that's going to bring judgment on the earth one day. And so the reminder, we are headed toward a holy heaven, a place that is very different from the world uh, that we live in presently. It's not a slight upgrade from the world that we live in uh, today. Uh, and, and of course, this is a, a cause for great praise and uh, worship. Heaven is very different from this world, will be. Uh, so different that as we get into the next chapter, Next time, God willing, uh, John begins to weep at the contrast between uh, the two and that everything would continue in its, its same condition as it is right now. And so God is holy. I remember that song, uh, and I, I don't know exactly the intention for which it was uh, written and what was in the, uh, the writer's mind, but it went something like, what if God's a slob like all of us? And uh, God forbid that uh, that would be the, uh, the case. And what, what worship would uh, that produce within our lives? He's worshipped as God, Lord God Almighty. So he's praised 
for His almightiness. And nothing can uh, successfully uh, resist Him. Nothing can prevail against Him and, uh, and, and His purposes. Not in heaven, not in, on the earth, not in human history, and specifically everything that's going to follow in the Revelation as He uh, moves history to His, uh, his God-appointed end, including a new heaven and a new earth. He's worshipped as the one who was and is and is to come. This is a celebration of his etern eternality. He is that he is uh, eternal. Not only is he holy, not only is he almighty, uh, but he has always been and always will be. He will never vacate that throne. Uh, he will never uh, be removed from that throne. Uh, no matter what kind of opposition that there, there might be, he will forever and ever uh, 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 inhabit that throne. And then second, you notice the worship that is offered to God the Father uh, by the four and twenty elders as they then now in verses 9 through 11, as the, the four living creatures praise the Lord, then they come in in unison with their worship that is then directed to the Lord. Before we get into what it is that they say here, uh, notice their actions, their, uh, uh, the, the hard attitude that they have from which the, the song comes, their attitude toward uh, God. Their actions there in verse 10, they fall down before uh, the Lord. Uh, expressing that uh, all that they are belongs to Him. Uh, and then further they cast their crowns before the Lord, communicating that not only is all that they are does it belong to, the God, to God, and that they want it to belong to God, but that all that they have in terms of wealth and in terms uh, of, of power and position, the recognition that all of it has come from Him, all of it is His, and, and, and that in their relationship with God the Father that these things pose no threat to His position of ultimate authority in their lives. And so they take these things and offer them freely uh, to, uh, to God as, as an expression that He is more important to Him, uh, to them, than all of the blessings that he has brought into their life. And then finally we take note of the song. And they declare God to be worthy to receive glory and honor and power. Okay. But then John lets us know the reason why. And the very next word is the word for. And for is a reason word. There's a reason that he is worthy to receive glory and honor and power. And the first reason that is given is God is praised for having created all things. And as, uh, the, as creator, he is worthy of uh, creation's uh, praise. This, of course, is one of the great tragedies of evolution today. Uh, in, in our world uh, is that it has robbed God of, uh, of an inestimable uh, amount of glory. You think about how many people have been given 
this, uh, this means by which to ignore God. Uh, this means, this theory uh, and, and means by which uh, to ignore Him as uh, a creator and, and, uh, and, and not a peep of praise offered to Him by so much of mankind. For all of the beauty of just a single day, a single spring day that is before us here uh, today, and, and never a peep of praise out of so many lives for all of the beauty of creation that's around us all day, every day. Sunrises, sunsets, a flowing river, the crash of waves on, on the beach, the unique beauty of each of the four seasons, uh, food, flowers, uh, everything that engages our five senses uh, in life, and, and not a single expression of thanksgiving or worship offered unto God for those things as the creator of all of those things. And this not only robs God of the glory that he deserves, but it robs a human being uh, of the ability to properly express it to him. You think about the sense of wonder, the sense of joy, the sense of gratitude that is removed from an individual human being's uh, life when everything around them is just simply taken for granted and no real thought is given uh, to its, its origin. And so here, though, in heaven, he is worshipped as the creator of all things. And then second, he is praised for the fact that everything has been created for his uh, will. I like this verse best as it's translated in the old King James Version. And uh, let me read it to you. Uh, Revelation 4.11 Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Because the Greek word will, in verse 11, it communicates far more than just the fact that God created everything as a mere act of His will. The Greek word communicates that God created everything, including us, with an intent, uh, with a purpose, with a plan. It communicates that God created everything, including us, out of His pleasure. And that it pleased Him to do so. And He did so for His pleasure. And we have uh, that we've been created for God and for His purposes and His pleasure. That's a truth that fairly fills the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. I'll read it to you. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, uh, of whom are all things, and we for Him. Romans chapter 11, verse 36. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. For it is, was fitting for Him for whom 
are all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. And then finally Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 for by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And this song in verse 11 in Revelation chapter 4 answers one of the greatest and most important questions uh, in life. Because if we've been created for God's pleasure, that is, we have been created for a relationship with God, then until we are engaged in the very thing that we've been created for, until we are engaged in that relationship, there will always be an emptiness in my life. There will always be the gnawing sense that there must be something more in life than I have experienced yet. And the reason that we feel that is very simple. Because it is because there is something more important in life than I have, that I have experienced. And it is the most important thing in life, the very thing that I've been created for, and that is a relationship with God. And as people all over the world, and you, you see it, and, you, and it's a part of many of our testimonies before we come to know the Lord, all, uh, m people run from one occupation to the another, another, one relationship to another, one get-rich-quick uh, scheme after another, one hobby after another, one fad after uh, another, one philosophy or religion uh, to another. And all of it is a testimony to this emptiness it is a search that's going on. And, and it is a, 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 a search that only uh, comes to its satisfying conclusion when I enter into a relationship with God. The very thing that I've been created for. How can I ever experience fulfillment independent of the very thing I've been created for? It's impossible for that to happen. It is only found in that relationship. It's been very well said that each and every one of us has been born into the world with a, a cross-shaped hole in our hearts. That it, and that hole cannot be filled with anything other than Jesus Christ. You can pour all of the world into that hole and it will not satisfy because only Jesus Christ can satisfy that need to be engaged in the very thing that we have been uh, created uh, for. And until we're saved and we're reconciled with God, not only will there be this frustration and emptiness that will mark our lives, but there'll always be a fundamental loneliness in our lives, a uh, fundamental uh, emptiness in our lives because we've been created supremely for relationship with God. We will always be lonely at our core until we're engaged in that relationship. No matter what our marriage is like, 
no matter how many relationships and healthy friendships that we have in our life, no matter how many people we've known uh, in life, no other human being can satisfy that core loneliness that is in us that can only be satisfied in a relationship with, uh, with God because we've been created for exactly that. So, of course, St. Augustine, he nailed it when he said famously uh, in a prayer to God, Thou hast made us for thyself, and the heart of man is restless until it finds its rest in thee. And that's the truth of it. And you see the restlessness all around us. And so how in the world does this relationship with God begin? By simply being born again. Jesus said, unless a person is born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. And being born again is simply, Jesus referring to a spiritual birth. By me coming to a place in my life where I say to God, God, my, I, I accept and I agree with your assessment of me as a sinner. And I believe that you are so holy that my sin has separated me from a relationship with you, the very thing that I've been created for. But I also believe that you loved me so much that you sent your Son into this world to die the death that my sin deserved in order that I might, He might be the satisfying payment for the forgiveness of my sins. And so I choose today to repent of my sin and I choose to put my trust in your Savior. And, and when a person does that, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and we're born again by the Holy Spirit. And now and only then do we have the capacity for a relationship with God. But all of that happens at the invitation of God. And all of that happens and is given to us as a free gift within in our lives. As Jesus declared it, most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world, that's you, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is all about we have been created for a relationship with God in our lives and nothing will satisfy until it does. But once that uh, is satisfied within our lives, there'll be such a longing to offer Him praise, to offer Him thanksgiving, to express our gratitude to Him, and to begin a, not only a lifetime of worship toward God, but then an eternity of worship toward God. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior and uh, never prayed to make Him uh, the, the Savior of your life, there are going to be pastors and other men and women up in front immediately after the service. They'd love to answer your questions and then pray with you to begin that relationship with God you've been created for this very day and watch everything change as a result. And then life will go from what it is, a scene of frustration, a scene of searching, a scene of loneliness, to having uh, Revelation chapter 4 
introduced into our lives by the Holy Spirit in, in that spiritual birth. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you for introducing this thing called worship into our lives. Something that we would never know otherwise and apart from you. And we thank you, Lord, that you have supplied us with such inexhaustible themes and reasons for giving you our worship and our praise. We are not surprised that worship will outlive this life and go into eternity because what you have done in us, Lord, in your love and in your grace will always find a need to be expressed in our lives not only in this life, but the life to come. Thank you for bringing us into a life of worship, the worship of you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.